0: In 4 verses 4 to 9, we have Paul's closing encouragements to the Philippians. He first gives some imperatives. Rejoicing in Jesus, being gentle with everyone, don't worry about anything. And then he connects the last of them in verse 6 with what he says in verse 7. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus that little and is very important it might even turn these verses into a conditional promise but I'll leave that up to you to decide if the Philippians were anxious about their needs that meant they were not trusting God and it's likely they weren't praying with Thanksgiving to him either Anxiousness, not praising God and not practicing gratitude can create distance in, um, in the heart towards God. When the Philippians were steadfast in their praise, gratitude, and prayer to God, then God would give them peace. Why? How does this happen? Because when you are doing these things, your perspective changes. Worries begin to fade away and you get an eternal perspective because your mind is not set on earthly things. Their hearts are softened, they have an increased sensitivity to the spirit, and as they draw nearer to God in this way, his presence would bring them peace. And in my opinion, it's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, here in practice. Those of steadfast mind you keep in peace, in peace because they trust in you. If you really trust in the creator God who formed every single atom who breathed life into you, who loves you. You live differently. I know, um, I know some people like this, um, people who have complete and utter confidence in God in every single situation. And these people I've found to be ones who carry peace more than anyone else. These people who have a deep trust and confidence in God. And what is peace? I didn't have the time to really explore this theme in Philippians, which would have been my next one if I had more time. That I believe peace, peace is not a detachment from the cares of life. It is not a stoic lack of concern. True peace can be had even in the middle of life's problems and storms because it is a confident trust in the unchanging goodness of God's character no matter what happens. Four ten to twenty is Paul's thank you note to the Philippians for the gift that they sent through Epaphroditus, and in here we have the often quoted verse um, four thirteen. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This might be the most well known Bible verse apart from John three sixteen. Um, I wonder if it's even more well. Anyways, yeah, it's popular. Um, it, with Christians, but even non-Christians know this because we slap this baby wherever we can, we just bap, bop, bap, bap everywhere. And it's such a shame that it is only 4 verse 13 that is known because 11 and 12 are treasures to, and we really misunderstand 13 without understanding it in context of the preceding verses. And it's also very well known that people take this verse out of context as this beautiful piece of satire from the Babylon Bee so eloquently reveals. The article is called, Weird But True. (laughs) I think it's so funny. The Babylon Bee is my favorite thing in the world. Uh, Weird But True, two Christian high schools have been stuck in a tied football game for six months after both teams invoked Philippians 413. This is such a funny article that I actually put it in my slides. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. It's good. Okay. Cameronsville, Iowa. I think that's what IA means. File this one away in the weird but true folder. <laughs> in a tragic prayer misfire, two Christian high schools have been stuck in a tied football game for the past six months after both teams prayed Philippians 4:13 before the game. The teams. The Highland Christian Knights and the Valley Christian Knights are currently facing off in a record-breaking 25,920th overtime. They got stuck in the loop of neither team being able to win after both teams' coaches huddled them up to pray and both claimed the victory by invoking Philippians 413. Lord, we claim the promise that we can do all things through you. Prayed Highland Christian Knight Coach Bob Winsley before the championship game started in early December. Like beat the pants off the Knights. Go Knights! Now everyone's hands in. Jesus on three. One, two, three. Jesus. Lord, we come before you now. We just claim your promise that we can do all things through you. Prayed Valley Christian Knight Coach Bob Hardiker like crush the Highland Christian Knights, go Knights, everyone's hands in, Jesus on three, one, two, three, Jesus. This is the best paragraph. Biblical scholars, biblical scholars, say that when two sports teams both claim the verse, it creates a paradoxical time for attempts. It's like an unstoppable object, meeting an immovable wall, (laughs) said one biblical scholar. Some say they'll be playing forever. At publishing time, the Highland Christian Knights had almost won after praying Jeremiah 29-11, but the Valley Christian Knights quickly countered with Isaiah forty thirty one, and the stalemate continued. I found that article at like 3 a.m. one night, and I was just cracking up, rolling on the floor in my room. It was, it was so funny. I love it. Um, anyways, I thought that was important to add in here. Yeah. So back back to Philippians 4 10 through 20, Paul's thank you note. In this section, Paul expresses how grateful he is that they showed their concern for him, but clarifies that he isn't needy. No matter the circumstance, Paul has learned the secret of contentment, and it is simple dependence. This is the piece Paul was talking about earlier in 4 verses 6 to 7. Deep confidence and trust in the character of God who strengthens him in any situation. In the next paragraph, in 15 through 20, we see that in Paul's early days of ministry, no church supported him except for the Philippians. And more than that, they were consistently generous towards him. And then Paul says something weird in 4.17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. What does this mean? Do believers have spiritual accounts where if they do a good deed, God puts like a credit in that account? It's nothing like that. Paul was not suggesting for a moment that they were um, doing anything like that. He is saying that God was delighted their faith, hope, and love were finding this practical expression. And to make this clear, he uses imagery from the Old Testament in verse 18 when he says the Philippians' gift is a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In the Torah, laws about sacrifices use this language often, as we all know. However, Paul would have agreed with Asaph in Psalm 50, verses 7 to 15. God doesn't really smell the aroma that a burning sacrifice would give off, and he isn't impressed simply by people going through the rituals of the temple and no heart behind it. What really brings joy to God is a generous spirit that flows from love and trust in Him. We have arrived at the final greeting, uh, the last three verses in Philippians. We did it, We charged. The most interesting part about this is four verse 22. "All the saints greet you, especially those of the emperor's household." So what we see here is that there are people who are in the emperor's own household who join the Philippians in saying, Jesus is Lord. And this is radical. The gospel had advanced so far into the empire that people in Nero's own house believed that Jesus of Nazareth, crucified on a cross, is the true king of the world. Imagine how encouraged the Philippians would have felt hearing this. I bet they would have been stoked out of their minds and even more empowered to reach their friends and neighbors around them. I imagine they would have been filled with the joy that has pervaded so much of Paul's letter to them. Oh, I have nothing more on this slide. Okay, I thought I did. Anyways, Philippians has been called the epistle of joy, and it has been a joy to get to rest in these four chapters. Um, over the past month. I'm going to share with you guys all of my raw thoughts on joy. So this was what was supposed to be on the slide. I had Bible verses and everything. Must have gotten deleted. So that's okay. All right. Based on popular contemporary Christian books, one might come to the conclusion that the Christian life is supposed to be a life without stress, strain, a life of pure, unadulterated gladness. All you got to do is, girl, wash your face, and then you'll live your best life now. But here in Philippians, Paul tears that sort of notion about the Christian life to shreds. Philippians, in the entirety of the Bible, helps us see in three dimensions what joy really is and what it isn't. You know, with Paphroditus, Paul was truly glad when he came um, with a gift but Paul was truly horrified when it looks like Epaphroditus might die. Paul was not a stoic. He did not pretend that we don't have and don't need human emotions. The resounding call to rejoice here in this letter is not a call to ignore or forget the multiple human dimensions of our lives. You know, think of where Paul is when he writes this letter. He is imprisoned, he's in chains, and his life is on the line and yet in this prison epistle is the one where he talks the most about joy. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 to 9, Paul talked about his feelings towards another time of suffering. He said, "We were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself." And yet later in that book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 to 9, Paul said, "We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not driven to despair." Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Although Paul's external circumstances did influence his emotions, they did not dictate his joy. His joy made it possible to accept both the emotions of happiness and despair. And although feelings will ebb and flow in the tide of our emotions, joy can be consistent through it all. Jesus lived a perfect life in every aspect. And part of his life was weeping at his friend's graveside in John eleven thirty five, and crying out in anguish and grief the night before his death. Would we rebuke Jesus because he failed to have a pure, untroubled joy in those moments? No, because joy is not happiness. Joy is not the right balance of neurochemicals firing in your brain, giving you a nice, warm feeling. Jesus had joy in spite of these moments because it is so much more than just an emotion. Joy is a deeply rooted trust and hope in God, and Jesus had that on the Mount of Transfiguration and in the shadow of the cross. Joy is very similar to the way the Bible describes love. So we're going side to sidetrack on love for a hot second. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2, Paul said, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Paul was not praying that God would increase their nice feelings towards one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, when Paul said, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more. When Paul said that, he was not saying, I know you have warm, fuzzy feelings towards each other and other believers near you, but have more warm, fluffy feelings towards everyone. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. John is saying, don't love with just your feelings and your words. Feelings can change and words are often empty. John says, love in truth and action Love without being dictated by changing feelings and love with your actions. Love and joy can both provoke, can both evoke powerful positive feelings, often similar to the ones that we do associate with happiness. But like love, joy is more than an emotion. Like love, joy is a choice. Like love, joy is grounded in the objective truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Like love, joy is an action Joy is choosing to have a deeply rooted trust and hope in God's plan on both the mountaintop and in the valley of the shadow of death. When I was studying for this teaching, I came across um, someone, specifically when I was studying about joy, I came across someone who, for some reason, was viewed as an authority on the subject of joy. I don't even know how you get to do that. Um, But she said that joy is satisfaction with the person I had become. And she comes from a theological background. Um, Joy is satisfaction with the person I have become. And I was watching this video, and I felt nauseous, and I had a bitter taste in my mouth when I heard that, because it's so self-centered. And in my study, I also came across people who seem to isolate joy as the ultimate goal. Joy cannot be rooted in ourselves, and joy should not be what we are aiming for in and of itself. Because we can only find a true joy in Jesus. It is not a coincidence that in Philippians, this letter of joy, the phrase, in Christ, is repeated 11 times in these four chapters. That's because true joy can only be found in Jesus. There is simply no other source for it. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, sums it up well when he says if you want to get warm you must stand near the fire if you want to be wet you must get into the water if you want joy power peace eternal life you must get close to or even into the thing that has them they are not a sort of prize which god could if he chose just hand out to anyone if you want to have joy, you need to get close to Jesus. You need to abide in Jesus. You need to know Jesus. Paul pursued knowing Jesus with everything that he had. And this is why, even in the face of extreme suffering, he had joy. We covered, um, we covered a lot today. And I, I don't know what God was highlighting to you or what he was speaking to you. Or if he did, but I, I believe that he wants to. I believe that he always wants to speak to us. You know, maybe he was talking to you about an eternal perspective. Do you have one? Is your gaze, you know, focused on God and on Jesus? Maybe he was talking to you about... Um, know, knowing Jesus more deeply, is there something that he's asking you to lay down in these last few weeks of SBS to pursue knowing him more deeply? Or maybe God was speaking to you about joy. Where have you placed your joy? In whom or in what have you found it? Or does your heart just cry, God, I need your joy? Um, So I, as I always do in my lectures, I... I believe in making room um, to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying immediately, and so when I play this worship song, I ask that you guys would ask the Holy Spirit to speak what He wants to you. I'm just gonna pray first. Jesus, um, in these in, the, in these next few minutes, I ask that um, you would just be speaking to every single one of our hearts in here, Lord. Staff, students, everyone, God. Holy Spirit, I ask that where you need to bring conviction that you will, and I thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, if it's comfort that some of our hearts in here need, I thank you that the Bible says that you are our comforter, and Jesus, you are our consolation. And so, Holy Spirit, um, we thank you that you are already here, that we don't have to invite you. But, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would increase our sensitivity to you. We ask that you would um, help us hear you speak more clearly.
1: every season on this journey
0: Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you for the book of Philippians, God. We thank you for all the treasure that's inside of here, Holy Spirit. As these uh, as, as they go in to do their homework for Philippians, I ask that you'd be um, giving them more of an eternal perspective. I ask that through this book you would reorient their gaze on you, where they have maybe looked to other things. Jesus, I ask that. Um, Lord, that um, through this book, that you would captivate their hearts more and more to have a burning desire to know you more deeply, Jesus. I ask that they would have the courage, um, if you convicted any of them, to lay aside, to sacrifice something for the surpassing value of knowing you more deeply, God. And Holy Spirit, for those of us in here who need joy, I ask that you would give it to us, God. But I ask that you would show us what it looks like to find joy in you, Jesus, because there's no other place that it can be found. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. We thank you that you humbled yourself in obedience and you died on a cross. That you are the King of Kings, and that at your name every knee will bow and every um, and every tongue will will praise you, God, to the glory, to the glory of the Father. God, I thank you, Lord, that we. Um, that this is the God that we serve. And I thank you that this is the God that we see in Philippians. So Jesus, we love you. We need you. We can't and we don't want to go even a day without you. And so we ask that you would be with us and in these next few days and open our eyes to see your truth and who you are in a deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen.